This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Kwame Kusatsu. I play Admiral Nakamura on Star Trek Next Generation, and I welcome you all to Trek FM. T.L. Grey Hot. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today is the jovial Joe Keegan and the jubilant Justin Ozer. Joe, how are you today? Good. You haven't blown away, have you? No, it feels like there was divorce because there's a storm here and it's really windy and really wet. Um, So yeah, I'm just staying in and watching Star Trek all day. And I've been re-watching The West Wing, which is really good, so... Oh, I am in the very last season of The West Wing. I'm still in season one, so. Oh, it's so good. It's so good to rewatch something that you really enjoyed from years ago, so. That's fun. And Justin, how are you? Doing great. Yeah, as of this recording, we've seen episode three of Picard. Mm -hmm. I'm loving the show and uh, talking about it on our podcast, The Line. So, yeah, just feeling good and uh, happy to be here and talking TNG. Yes. Always good to have Justin give us the update on Picard. (laughs) I mean, it's the thing that we're all talking about and watching, right? So I'm going to give you a weekly update while it's on. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, we received an email. Justin, why don't you read that for us? Yeah. So this is from Eric Bogan from Cleveland, Ohio. And he says, I really enjoyed your episode on badass data moments. Two of my favorite badass data moments that you did not cover include the following. First, Data taking command of the Enterprise and Gambit, while Riker and Picard are both stuck on board the space pirate ship. I love seeing Data in the captain's role because his command style derives much from experience seeing Riker and Picard command, but is uniquely his own. He commands very firmly but professionally. He and Worf were used to being co-department heads under Riker and Picard, but were thrust into the two completely different roles of captain and first officer. It was very badass that Data was able to effectively and professionally handle his conflict with Worf, despite the potential awkwardness of being the boss of someone he considers a friend and had typically been more or less co-equal with in the command structure. And second... Data standing up for the exocomps and quality of life was also very badass. He literally put his career on the line because he believed so strongly in protecting the rights of artificial life the same way Picard did for him in Measure of Man. So thank you, Eric. Those are some really great moments. I And I think it goes to show that Data has lots of badass moments because we didn't even pick those <laughs> those moments or come close to it. So Yeah, there were a lot of people that were mentioning Gambit, and I was like, oh, yes, that's... Yeah. Why? Why? We, we can't mention them all. Yeah, exactly. I suppose so. with the three of us and picking three badass moments, we can pick a maximum of nine when there's probably hundreds. So. Yeah. 
stuff exactly going. yeah all right well we have some babel conference feedback which came from earl gray 310 and our discussion on the most toys this this was great listeners we loved reading all of your comments uh so justin why don't you start us off yeah, so Carrie Purvis says, I love seeing the scenes filmed with David Rappaport. It's very sad that he passed away. He would have been brilliant in that role. So Carrie is referencing when we talked about the original actor, uh, David Rappaport, who was supposed to have the role of Kivas Fajo. There were a couple of days of filming. Unfortunately, he attempted suicide after that, so they had to find another actor, Saul Rubinek, uh, who performance we talked about. Um, and then David Rappaport, unfortunately, did end up committing suicide a few months after that. Now, I think, I don't know if it was Carrie or someone else, but they pointed out on the Blu-ray, I think you can see some of those scenes that were filmed with David Rappaport. I haven't seen that yet, but definitely going to check it out. JG Becker says, top-notch discussion as usual. There is definitely, this is definitely up there among the best data episodes, in my honest opinion, with plenty of data badassery. Saul Rubinek, of course, is great in everything. Definitely give Warehouse 13 a watch if you haven't already. Uh, thanks, JJ, for your comment. I agree with the Warehouse 13. I think it was me that suggested people go watch that. Um, Saul is just an amazing actor, and he really brings the character of Kivas Fajo to life, I think. Yeah, it was nice that we got to talk about Data's badass moments and then the most toys the next week. So mm -hmm. definitely one of a great badass moment episode. <laughs> and we have Jim Stoffel who wrote another great Earl Grey. I always enjoyed this episode and I consider it to be a study in pacifism. Data is a pacifist, but if push came to shove, would he stay true to his beliefs or be more human and act out on his anger? Thanks, Amy, Justin, and Joe for another good podcast. Well, thanks, Jim. We definitely do get to see his acts that will defy uh, Kiva. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point about... Well, he says a study in pacifism. Of course, in the end, it seems like Data is ready to kill this guy. But, yeah... It, I, we had a really great discussion. It's a pretty interesting episode for sure. All right. Well, let's get to today's discussion. Um, we are going to finish, I guess we could say, finish I our so. Lost Episode series. This will be part nine, and it is our first Lost episode with Joe. Yes. So, so this excited. is I'm starting my discovery of Lost Episodes right here. <laughs> yes. So we invited Brian Malosh, who was able to send in some scripts and has some lost episodes for us to share. Uh, Brian is host of Star Trek Discovery Podcast and the Star Trek Picard cast. So, Brian, welcome back to Earl Grey. Why, thank you, Amy, and uh, thank you, Justin and Joe. It's a pleasure to be back. Uh, yeah, um, when I, I submitted a bunch of topics to you guys, uh, several months back and i know that when you guys found out that i had you know submitted to next gen you were like oh we should really include that in your uh lost episode series so uh yeah, yeah and uh i wanted to tell the story and some of the uh well there's this one little juicy tidbit <laughs> that I'm going to include, but yeah, but yeah. we're getting a scoop here on her gray. Yeah. So, um, I guess, you know, most listeners I think would probably know that there was a policy that Michael Piller put in place, uh, to 
take fan submissions from, um, you know, you know, novice writers in many cases to, um, you know, take their story ideas. And some of them even went to the point of like actually writing the episodes, uh, Ronald D. Moore famously was one of those. Uh, I think Renee Echevarria was another one uh, that came in that way. Um, so I had heard about this uh, policy. And I was like, yeah, I'm curious. How did you hear about it? It was uh, a known thing. I think um, at the time I, I probably had the uh, the Star Trek magazine. Um, okay. you know, that was part of the fan club. And, um, so I think it was mentioned in there, but anyway, uh, I, so, so I hadn't really given it serious thought, but I, I had, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit to 91. So it was probably like m- March or it was, a dreary day in 1991 and I was uh, kind of in between uh, jobs. I had taken a job out of school. It wasn't so great and taken another job out of school. It wasn't so great. I was uh, just not a happy guy. And so where I got my happiness was watching next gen. And at the time on city TV in Toronto, it used to be on every day at around four o'clock, I think. Uh, so I would get in my daily next gen fix and keep going. <laughs> and, uh, one day they were playing, you know, they were at the time they were like replaying the old, I'd say first three seasons of, of next gen. So they got around to first season and there were some clunkers as we all know. Well, the, <laughs> the episode in question was angel one. And that one, it's probably not the worst episode of season one, but it's it's just one that really makes my like the back of my neck hairs go up because just so ugh, like Riker as a it's not a good episode. It's not. And I love the I know idea you, and I know concept you, of it. I, I think the idea and concept are great, but the execution doesn't come off. Well, but. that's it. That's kind of what happened. So I'm watching this thing, and after watching it, I said, you know. That really wasn't a good episode. You know, if I started thinking, you know, if I had written that episode, I would have made this change and that change and this change, and that would have been a better episode. And I thought, you know, I could really write a better episode than this. And then I asked myself a question that changed my life. I asked, why don't you? I was like, yeah, why don't I? You know, I, I think I could do this. So... Um, fast forward a bit, you know, I had been playing around with ideas and I didn't really know what story to write. Didn't know how to write, uh, especially. So, for, so you didn't have like a writing background or didn't, hadn't done much before? No, or? not, okay. not really. No. Um, so I, I, I had, uh, you know, I had read a little bit about it, uh, in so, but I still hadn't really gotten anywhere on it. Uh, a year had passed, and during that year, I had moved back from uh, Waterloo, where I went to school, to Windsor, Ontario, um, my hometown. And um, Creation was, you know, at the time, they had their, um, didn't just have the one Star Trek con, they had, like, 
cons all over the, the U.S. and even abroad, I think. And um, so they had a, a convention at the, I think it was the Dearborn Civic Center in, in Michigan. And uh, that is a particularly bad venue. And I had been there before, but this particular um, event, they had a seminar, um, which was a writing seminar. It was basically how to learn to write for Star Trek. And who was putting it on was the script coordinator, uh, Lolita Fajo, um, was on there. Of course, uh, you mentioned the most toys that, that Kivas Fajo uh, was named after her. Um, I know that. Yeah. So, but but also putting on the uh, seminar was two very famous writers and producers in, in Star Trek, Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga. So I got to spend the day. Uh, it was a pretty, you know, small class of maybe 20 people. That's pretty um, amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I got to learn straight from them how to do it, like what kind of stories they were uh, would accept and how how the process went. And that really invigorated my, my interest in doing it. So I'd say right after that, I started working on it. And it, it took me a while. You know, I was working... Uh, a couple of jobs in there at the time. And so it, it wasn't an instantaneous process. I think it took me about like eight months to, to write it, but I submitted the script and it was called manifest destiny. And that uh, story was, uh, it was a, sh a ship from the future, the enterprise N uh, comes to uh, the Enterprise D and uh, much kind of like, sort of like yesterday's Enterprise, uh, actually intervenes uh, to, to stop something from happening that if it happens, throws the Federation into complete chaos uh, over time. And what, what um, the, the interesting part about this this ship is it's partially borgified like the hmm. the uh and this is you know before in voyager we see the 29th century so the, this ship's from the 29th century and the crew is partially borgified and when i what i mean by that is there's like heavily uh we see a lot of implants on them you know extra devices and they've got some kind of like networking networked mind but it's not exactly like the borg like there's still individuality it's almost like what you end up eventually seeing in descent before descent and uh but but uh but actually being a part of the the federation and starfleet and um so we find out you know this captain whose uh name is 25 melnick and <laughs> And uh, he he ends up, you know, kind of like in the middle of this this uh, change, he decides to abort the mission. And um, and that ends up even making things worse. And um, 
long story short, you know, there's a lot of interaction between Picard and Melnick, and um, it, it has to do with the first contact situation. Okay, so that first contact situation originally went went completely uh, utter chaos, and uh, that's their original like ideas. They're going to come back and and change time. So the uh, the essentially the story ends with Picard changing his tactic with the uh the captain of this other ship that they meet which um i can't even remember the name of the the aliens but i remember the the um the captain was <laughs> at a thing for weird names of of uh of characters so this character's name was Niofnu Nifnik hello i'm Niofnu Nifnik <laughs> nice wow. i give him a voice <laughs> yes so um, it it ends with them actually uh, having a handshake, and that handshake somehow it, it means something slightly different to what a handshake means to us. But that handshake to them is kind of "we love you" kind of kind of thing, uh, sort of a different meaning. Where as I, I they. Uh, he bowed or he said something that out of context that was taken the wrong way. But anyway, this, that first contact successful, uh, the enterprise N and Melnick and everything completely like disappears and mm -hmm. it, it just goes away. And you are led to believe that everything is, uh, good. And that future never happened. So mm -hmm. that's that's how it kind of ends, and um, it. So I submit it, and about two months pass. This was, I would say, in the summer of '93 or early, like May or late. I guess uh, late spring of '93 is when I submitted it, and um, in July I got a letter back from Paramount. And in an envelope rejecting the the story, and um, I got it back. And the interesting part about this is, it wasn't read, like it clearly wasn't read. That it was pristine as how I sent it in. So I'm like, well, what what the heck? What happened? So I started, you know, going through library books and stuff like that. You know, keep in mind. The internet was just like basically in a nascent stage at that time in 93. It was yeah. CompuServe was the, mm -hmm. my big exposure to the internet. So it was harder to figure out like what the heck, you know, to do. There was even difficult to find like software to write a script on, you know, so because yeah. WordPerfect and that, that wasn't designed for that kind of thing. Microsoft Word was uh, not even a thing. Well, it was, but I, I used Word perfect. perfect was the yeah. king there. It was. So anyway, I had figured out that the my problem was that even though I was close to the format of uh, screenwriting, I what I I didn't get the the font right. I you know mm -hmm. had some brilliant idea to change the font. 
the margins weren't correct. There were a lot of things that I did that were that said it's not the right format. So, you know, an, an obvious novice mistake. But I felt pretty strongly that the story itself was still good. But I realized that it was too long. So, like, after I made the formatting changes and got it down to what seemed to be exactly, like, at that time, I think I had gone to another Star Trek convention and bought a script. And so I could, like, compare what I had mm. to what uh, what was in the script. And I, you know, so I made all these changes. And it was way too long. So, so I resubmitted the script after about... I'd say about two months of changes. So I, I shortened it. I increased the action in the, the story. I, I uh, punched up the uh, interactions between Picard and Melnick and resubmitted the script after, like I say, I, I, it, it was essentially the same story, but the script itself was quite a bit different. Uh, and a lot better, I thought. And I submitted it then, and the name of that script, I changed the name in case they went, oh, you've already submitted this. So, <laughs> yeah. So the this one was called Changing Times, okay? Hmm. And that, I think, got submitted around September of 93, so this was this was right as uh, season seven was starting. Okay, so I just want to jump in real quick. Um, uh, at my school, I have uh, students who are in digital media and uh, video production and stuff. And one of my senior students is working on a script, and of course, he has. Unfortunately, you didn't, as you mentioned. You know, a lot of support and research can be done on the Internet. And mm -hmm. he was presenting his it's called a senior capstone project to me. Uh, I was just so it looked like an actual script yeah. and I was just so impressed. So I definitely can see, you know, that you'd want to have that right. Uh, the formatting and the font and everything. Yeah. So I had a question for you when you wrote Manifest Destiny and submitted it yeah. the first time. Like what season were you hoping that it would fit into? Um, you'd mentioned that changing times, it was going to be obviously a season seven. Um, but were you thinking Manifest Destiny would be a season six episode or? Yeah, well, like I started writing it in season five and, um, you know, really got underway, you know, after the uh, after the seminar, it, it was it was in the middle of season six while I was writing it. So, yeah, I was I was hoping that it would be either season six or season yeah. seven. But the way that, that you wrote it and the way that things worked back then, they could probably slot that into any season, really. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the way that I wrote it, it could have been for anything. And, it, and at the time when I wrote it again, uh, Deep Space Nine hadn't started yet. So, like, mm. you know, I, I didn't really factor that in uh, at all. So anyway, so uh, getting back to Changing Times, so I submitted that and watched the season uh, transpire. And at, eventually I got a response back and uh, it was rejected again. 
and uh, you know, no invitation to pitch or anything like that. Um, it was just a rejection. And I thought that's, that's it. You know, I, I blew it. So um, a little bit of time went up, went on. I think it was, I think it was maybe at the time, maybe eight episodes had already aired for season seven. I started, you know, watching. I was like, well, Gambit, that, that, that was okay, but it wasn't, the greatest two-parter and i think we feel differently here about gambit but well it's it's all right i think <laughs> I, I love that i think i, I like it, it better now but uh <laughs> yeah. dark page i wasn't really uh oh. didn't really like that i like i love that's one of amy's and our favorites but <laughs> yeah <laughs> i loved attached um yep yeah uh force of nature i thought was a terrible mistake uh really? interface i didn't like force of nature is uh, amazing <laughs> Joe loves Force of Nature. Force of Nature. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I just, I didn't like the idea of warp speed limits. So, oh, okay. but, and neither did they, by the way. <laughs> I know they didn't really use yeah. it much later, but it was kind of up and down with what you liked and didn't like. Yeah, exactly. That, so, yeah. and it, and it ended, uh, like at the end of sweeps was, uh, parallels, which I thought was a really, uh, great episode. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so, I didn't know what to do. I, I like, there's no way. How could my script get rejected <laughs> when I'm seeing these other episodes? And some of them are good, but some of them are definitely not nearly as good as mine. So hmm. um, I started thinking what to do. I figured out what to do. So basically, I talked to a friend of mine, and my friend submitted a letter to the executive producer, Jerry Taylor. And it was like, you know, I, I've been working with my friend Brian on his script, you know, reading it and how good it was. And I, I, I thought it was like one of the best things I've ever read. And it got rejected. And then I've watched these like 11 episodes of, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, and I went, I detailed like the things that I liked, the things I didn't like. And I... Wait, were you writing this letter or someone else you knew was writing it? So... <laughs> Let me finish. So, okay. so what I said is like this letter got submitted. I wrote this thing. I don't understand why you've you've rejected Brian's script. I think you should give it another chance. To to Jerry Taylor, uh, sub, uh, submitted by Edmund Reno, my friend. So, in other words, I wrote a letter to Jerry Taylor. Wow! And I wrote it. That's the secret that it was. Actually, I wrote it, but Edmund, Ed Reno, uh, hi, Ed. I'm sure you're not listening, but uh, <laughs> but he knows this. I submitted it with his name because I didn't want to be presumptuous, and I thought it would probably work, go better if it was someone else sending the letter and not me. <laughs> Send less like someone could I know. Yeah. yeah. So a few weeks later, about three weeks later, Ed gets this letter from paramount <laughs> out of nowhere right and he did, like i didn't even tell him because i didn't think there would be any, any oh reason. so you like used his address <laughs> i oh, did wow. yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's he's like brian why am i getting this letter yeah he's yeah. like what the hell and i said well surprise uh yeah so so this is what this is what it said it was it was uh jerry taylor herself the showrunner of season seven wrote back ed and and she said, 
you know, gee, I, I was really touched by your letter uh, and really appreciate the feedback. I decided to go back and look at the the treat, you know, the wow. the, the writers or the uh, researchers will they write notes like every sub script mm -hmm. that gets submitted they have to take notes on it you know to say what it was and their impressions and all that and what to do with it and they said the the uh whoever you know reviewed my script said it showed a lot of promise is really good there were a couple things that weren't quite there but it showed a lot of promise yet mm -hmm. they rejected me and so she thought well i don't really understand why they rejected brian because normally for a writer, you know, to, to submit something this good, we definitely want to have them in. So if you could, if you could send the message back, have, have him call Lolita Fajo. And, and, uh, I want to, I want, would like to get him to, uh, pitch to us, you know, as soon as possible. So I get this call wow. back from Ed. He's like, what the heck is this? And he told me though, and uh, and we knew, you know, what it meant. It's like I'm going to get my shot. So I call her up, and uh, they're like, "Okay, well, when can you pitch?" Or sorry, it wasn't even that. It was like, "Oh, when when can you pitch?" And it was going to be, uh, I think, Tuesday. And 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 you have to go travel to L.A. to do this. No, right? no, no, no. You didn't have oh. to. You you could do it over the phone. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so this was Tuesday. I was going to pitch on Tuesday and this was the previous Thursday. So I basically had the weekend to come up mm. with stories to pitch. I had nothing, right? But I'm creative. I come up with ideas. I, you know, I, like, even though I didn't have anything down, I was, I knew things in my head. I could come up with stuff. So, um, wow. I was going to pitch. And I, I have to look back to make sure the exact date of this, but it was the date that I was going to pitch was the date of the LA earthquake. It got postponed. January 17th, 1994. I remember because yes. I was in Southern California at the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was going to be on that day and, you know, they, they didn't come in, obviously. So mm. I ended up uh, delaying. It got delayed. Um a couple couple of days i think and then that ended up getting postponed again so it was um so i ref had a little bit of time to refine my ideas a little bit so i came in finally about maybe two weeks later with 10 stories and it was wow. unheard of they're like 10 you have 10 stories wow um so i I submitted a bunch of them. I'm not going to go through all of them because the you know no. take too long. But um, the one that they were really interested in was um, well, there were two. There was one that was um, a wharf story that was basically wharf uh, investigating a a homicide on the enterprise and oh that's totally interesting because you don't really see Worf doing investigations like that yeah, much. yeah yeah and so they were initially uh interested in that but they they said that there were some other Worf stories that were coming up and sure enough you know they had like short when it when it came back there was like 
homeward i think had just had mm-hmm. just happened and there were i think one or two other stories but they didn't want to go that route so they had the beholder is kind of a murder investigation thing yeah the has some yeah yeah and so uh another one that and I don't really remember too much of the specifics of it, but it was basically a life form uh, interacts with the Enterprise. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're doing that in two weeks. <laughs> so that was uh, Emergence, I think. Emergence, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was sort of similar, but the funkiness of that particular, I mean, you know, it had the Brandon Braga seal of weirdness on it. <laughs> Uh, so mine didn't have that, but but um, that ended up uh, not going too far. But the one that they they actually were really interested in was would have brought in a new uh, species of like a new enemy to Star Trek, and it was um, it's it starts with this. So we see the Enterprise. It. Uh, comes up to another Federation starship, like a, uh, an Excelsior-class starship, and it, it hails, and it's Riker on screen, and they, you know, make contact, usual, and then the next thing you know, he says, Worf, fire all weapons. And mm. they destroy the Excelsior ship, and the cold open ends with, that's the first of many to fall. And we're like, what the heck is going on here? So it it the story uh, introduces this new species uh, with technological shape shifting, so they can mm. like take a ship and morph it into whatever they desire, and it's basically like a duplicate copy. It's almost sort of like what Odo could do, except this is like total molecular transfer yeah. of everything like like duplicate copies of everything including that people actually, that actually comes up in enterprise uh, one of the uh, time with the romulan drone ship yeah they can kind of holographically exactly. kind of make itself look like any ship. Oh, for for yeah. for holographically but there yeah. is actually one of the maybe it's the first a time two novel uh, which came out in 2003 or four, where there is a species that does that. They just kind of like can sample a ship and just totally recreate it. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's wow. essentially what, what they're, what they did. So in, in that story, um, Picard, who was off ship at the time, um, he comes back to the enterprise and discovers that, um, Federation starships have it surrounded, basically wanting to know what's going on. And of course, that wasn't Riker; that was this other uh, ship. And it's it's kind of like a who done it and you know, what's going on. And introduce sort of like how Q who uh, Q who introduced the Borg. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like this is a new uh, threat that we need to be uh, concerned with. Well, they really liked the idea. But they didn't buy it. But if it had been bought, it would have fit in the place of preemptive strike. So it oh. was it was going to be if they had bought my story, it was going to be the final story that they were going to buy for uh, next gen. Mm. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jerry was really impressed with 
what I had been able to do, you know, for first time. Uh, and, you know, she said that all of my stories were really good. It's just that, you know, either they, they couldn't do it or they wouldn't do it. Or it was a mandate not to do this kind of story, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but she said, look, I'm, you know, uh, going to be show running Voyager. Um, when, when the time comes, uh, and cause we're working on that right now, I want you to pitch to Voyager, uh, you know, right away. So mm. I was like, Oh, wow. So, so, uh, and when when the Bible was uh, actually produced, I got the Bible, and you know I got the thing. It was going to be um, what was her original name? Um, Janeway. It was Nicole Janeway. Nicole Janeway. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw all that, and then I saw <laughs> how it changed. I got a new Bible, and you know, with a new new character, Catherine Janeway, instead of Nicole Janeway. And anyway. Um, so for that, uh, I pitched twice to Voyager without ever seeing the show. Like the show had not, uh, yeah, just based on the, the show Bible, right? Just based on the yeah. show Bible. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, so I, I actually pitched twice, uh, once to Jerry, once to Brandon Braga, um, hmm. stories. Now, and, is this, is this, is this still over the phone or are you this actually is all going over to the see phone. it? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so this was um, would have been, I think the first time was August of 94, and then again... And back then for the show Bible, they just like mailed it to you, yep. I, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It's quite and, a thing to see in your mailbox, right? <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, well, I think it was actually, it was actually FedExed. It wasn't, okay. it wasn't uh, mailed, it was, was sent Still, by well, FedEx. You had like a bit of the inside track. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I did. And, you know, I started at the time, I was like really thinking, okay, well, at the time I was still, you know, I live in the U.S. now, but I was still living in uh, Canada. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, I really want to make a career out of this, but you know, how am I going to do that? And can I even like come to L.A. to do this? Like, don't I need, you know, visa and all that stuff to, to do it? Yeah. So, um it was around that time that it, the first two pitches to Voyager, um, they, there was nothing that, that they ended up uh, buying. Um, although uh, one of the stories was actually very close to one of the ones that, like, it was, was one of those situations, just, like I said, it happened to me twice. Uh, I pitched a, a Paris story, and mm -hmm. they said, we're shooting that next week. I'm like, ah, it was, it was the one I think where, uh, he gets accused of murder or something. Oh, that one. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was that. And in my story, um, I had a, an interesting twist of it. It was basically, he did kill the guy, but, really? uh, yeah, well, it was, you know, self-defense, but, but, uh, they didn't care that it was self-defense. What they cared about was they had a weird, they had weird laws on this planet and, all he all he ended up having to do was to say, "Yeah, I killed him. He was a he was an a hole." <laughs> so like, oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it's it's kind of like all they had to do was to to justify that this guy was a jerk and uh the and in their laws that was justification to 
f- for no. it to be a, a, a just murder. But by the way, the aired episode is ex post facto. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm still, uh, I, I'm doing a Voyager rewatch, but I've kind of postponed it right now. So I have to go back. The, the story that actually got bought was uh, pitched the first time I pitched to Deep Space Nine. And what that story was called was uh, Assistance. And it was, and you may uh, recognize part of the story based on what I tell you. So uh, Odo gets sick and uh, he, he can't maintain form. And the only way that he can be cured is to take him to the founders to be cured. So that part of that story was combined with a story that was pitched by George Brozak, and that became Broken Link, which was the fourth season finale for Deep Space Nine. And that was pitched um, in uh, December of 1994. And uh, that's so, like, in that year of 94, I pitched twice to Next Gen because the, 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 shape-shifting uh, story was actually pitched on a, oh, we really want to hear more about this story kind of pitch. Can you pitch tomorrow? <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. I didn't mention that. So I pitched twice to Next Gen, twice to uh, Voyager, and once to Deep Space Nine in 1994. So, so I have a question about that because mm-hmm. you said you pitched that in December of 94, but I see the episode came out in June of 96. So yes. they had to hold on to it for a while? 15 months of wow. uh yeah it, it it wasn't actually accepted until march of 96 finally in march wow. of 96 and they kept you know i pitched to deep space nine a couple of times in the interim and they kept saying yeah we're interested but we can't use it yet so we can't buy it and it had taken so long that i'm like well you know i don't know if i can um depend on this like to make a living so i ended up deciding i need a fallback position so i went back to school and learned computer graphics and that ended up becoming my career because that led me to web development and then web development led me to what i'm doing now so oh wow yeah so anyway um but that was the one they finally accepted it like 15 uh months later and I got a check for, and I, I didn't get to write the story or anything. It was just basically they bought the premise. I got a check and a letter, uh, check for $500 and, you know, uh, a nice letter that I was able to, you know, uh, put on a, you know, on a, on the wall. And, uh, but like I said, by that time, I just was like, I, I need to find something else to do. Hmm. So, uh, but over the n- next couple of years, I kept um, trying to submit stories and it just, it got harder and harder it, with, with uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager being on uh, at the same time, 52 episodes a year. Um, it was like, it was a continuing to be a, uh, moving target that you had to uh, submit to. And I was finding um, by 99 was the last time I pitched to Voyager. And I just, 
I was really, I'd say the last two or three times that I pitched, I was just having more and more difficulty trying to find stories to uh, submit. And uh, mm. the the time in 99, I had a, uh, my father had taken ill and he eventually passed away from the illness. Um, but at that time, I just had to kind of give it a go give it up and not uh, pursue it anymore but yeah yeah so but brian what like what an experience and also it's like a snapshot of a certain time in star trek's history where they had that open submission policy which even at the time was very unusual Mm -hmm. but i don't know if we'll ever have that again because we have shows on that are more serialized and you can't really have someone just from the outside pitch something and try to slot it in exactly Uh, (laughs) yeah i i think those those days are over at least for star trek um yeah like unless they bring back a show that's episodic in nature uh maybe but even then i don't think that we're ever going to see this kind of thing the only thing i could see is if they had some kind of submission policy say for short treks or or something like that oh that would be interesting or if they commissioned fan-based uh shows and they you know start doing that way i don't know but i think you need somebody who champions it as well because michael pillar really championed that and i think it was partly because like going into into season three there had been all this turmoil and he was like we need scripts so let's just open things up and get people to submit stuff and that was really helpful but he was pushing for it and i think the executives weren't really didn't really want to do that but they were like all right i I guess so if that's what you feel you need to finish this season so yeah i i think it was an unusual strategy uh which turned out to be mm-hmm. a great one because like i say yeah. there were a number of writers that ended up um you know building their entire careers from that and uh yeah yeah so but wow what a what a great experience i have to say um Amy or Joe, do you have questions you want to ask Brian? Because I know, like, it's been a really fascinating story, but, like, there were so many facets to it. I know. It took a while to tell. <laughs> I know. I was just going to ask you the, the $500 you got. It seems like a lot of money to me for pitching an idea. Does it, in terms of the length of time it took you to come up with idea and kind of think it out and kind of write it down and then pitch it, is, is $500 worth it, do you think? Well, I don't think you can just uh, base it on, a, you know, like a, a dollar per hour kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was an experience and um, it it uh, it was just something I loved doing. And, mm. you know, I, I was I, I mean, I have one major regret in my life and and that is that considering the exposure that I had to Star Trek back then, what I should have done was investigate what I needed to do to get a visa or whatever and move to LA and try mm. to get in on the, sh- on one of the shows, like as a intern or as you know, just anything, you know, a- anything to work on the show because I had a th- that kind of access to them. Like literally I could call them up and, and they yeah. would set me up to pitch. It was, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I only had like certain times. It's like, literally they told me if I had any ideas that, that, 
they that I thought were um, something that they wanted. They they gave me the access. So right. I, I my regret is that I didn't just take a chance and move out there, even for a couple of months. You know, it, 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 that's the one thing I know that if I'd done that, my life would be completely different right now. I think, like, I, I still have this belief that I think if I had, I I might be working on Picard right now, you know, or mm. or the Orville or probably not the Orville <laughs> <laughs> or Discovery or something. I, like, I think huh. that there's, I have that ability but I just haven't, um, yeah, I, I think at this time it's not like I, I think I could, you know, meet Kurtzman and, you know, at some uh, Comic-Con or something and, oh, come on and pitch to us. That that would never happen. The the no. sa- the, the boat has uh, set sail and left the harbor. But I just wonder if I had, could I have, uh, could I have done it? I think I could have. But, hmm. uh, you know, I, I just at the time I couldn't even find um, like a school and there were, I think schools It just, I, there wasn't enough information to figure out like, where could I go to school to learn how to do this? And were mm-hmm. there any opportunities in Canada? It turned out, yes, there were, but I just didn't know them at the time, you know? So yeah. um, much harder to find information about stuff like that back then. When yeah. You had to to the library it, or whatever. It really <laughs> was. And, you know, I even went to, um, you know, vocational counseling at like the, uh, was it the department of, I can't remember the name of it, but the ministry of employment or whatever it's called, uh, in Ontario. And they had me take a bunch of tests and it turned out like my uh, number one aptitude was to be a film director. Oh, wow. You know, so, uh, and number two was a screenwriter. It's like, okay. (laughs) And then number three was what I do now, which is web development. So, or uh, programming is what it said at the time. But um, it's always interesting to take those yeah. tests and your aptitude yeah. tests. And it's like, oh, yeah. I think I took one and it did say that I would be a good teacher. And and the funny out. thing is like the, the uh, course that I took at Seneca College was uh, a course where you learned like uh, multimedia production, media production, um, you know, editing, uh, computer animation. And there was this one little HTML course that ended up, that's what I ended up doing. (laughs) So, but yeah. So what were the, what were the names of that species then? What was that again? Cause I'm intrigued by them. Everything was an N that, that I remember, I think it was like, Neoceans or something like that. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I don't even have the uh, files that are available. The other thing I, I would say is like all everything that I had from that period got it was all in a box. And that box, uh, we had a leak at our house in Cleveland hmm. in 2010 and got severe damage. And all of that stuff, all the paper stuff, even the uh, the computer discs, oh, the floppy disks, yeah, mold damaged. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. Oh, so I had to, I had to unfortunately throw everything out, and uh, yeah, oh, wow. it was 
terrible, but yeah. But yeah, that, that experience you had, I mean, that's just, yeah, maybe it could have turned into something more, but you got to actually submit things and see, you know, a story premise that you had actually air. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was, it was really interesting because like I wasn't involved in broken link at all. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was watching it, I was watching it as a regular viewer, but also with the knowledge that, Hey, my story is in here. And, mm. and like the, the character that, you know, kind of was, uh, trying to be set up with Odo for that. That wasn't in my story, (laughs) but there was, there was a, there was a thing where he was trying to find some smugglers and, and loses his form while doing that. And that was part of my, a part of broken link. So cool. Yeah. But, but I, but I have to know when broken link aired, I mean, or did you ever get to see that with your friend Ed who you wrote that letter under yeah, his name? <laughs> I did. I, I, I did. And you know, we we uh we were friends for uh a long time and uh he he thought, you know, at first he was kinda like, you know, what'd you do that for? Like put my name on her. But but once he realized, you know, what what I'd done and why I'd done it. And he also like he, he was involved with, you know, he read everything and, you know, so it wasn't like he, this is a complete surprise to him, but, Mm. um, yeah, it was nothing nefarious. You didn't, you didn't try and steal his identity or anything. You were just using his name for good, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was, it was a very clever way to, uh, to get in and get more information. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I, I didn't think that, like, I thought if I just submitted it as myself, and wrote it as myself that Jerry would read it and go, well, they oh, would just is, toss is, it out. This, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but I thought that if it came from a viewer that, um, you know, had read it and could see yeah. it in relation to the shows that had, or the episodes that had been uh, shown already, that it would kind of be taken a little more seriously and it mm-hmm. turned out clearly i don't yeah. I, I don't know I, you know i never i never fessed up to the to that until you know like i'm sure if you met if, if you had met jerry taylor later and told her the story she'd probably just laugh about yeah. it oh she i'm <laughs> sure she would but you know i i pitched to jerry i think three times the two times on uh next shed and then at least one time on voyager maybe twice i think i think just the one time and um, yeah, I never told her then. So at least you didn't get your mum to write in, though. Mum, they didn't like my <laughs> script. Could you write them a strongly worded letter? <laughs> Hi, this is that Brian's mom. <laughs> yeah. <And>, no. <laughs> so how dare you reject my son? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was very interesting, though. I mean, it that that was. I'd say one of the things that I learned from that was that anything's possible if you put your mind to it, and. Mm. You know, you just have to, a, a lot of, it's it's like they say, you know, it's like 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is, the important thing is to not just have the idea, but to do something with it. And I think that, you know, and I've, I've 
find myself failing sometimes with this is I'll get this great idea and I don't do anything with it, you know, and um, the times where I've had success in my life, and I would consider this largely a success, you know, in many ways, I think this is, I consider this like my claim to fame for many years. It was Mm -hmm. like the one thing that I did better than, you know, anything I'd ever done. You just have to take the chance and, and to do it. And, if you don't do it, like it's like one of those things. If you don't try, you won't get uh, an episode made. So right. you know, but if you do try, maybe you will. It, it, mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't easy. Like it was, it was difficult, and it, especially back then, to you know, really not. There wasn't a school I could go to. There wasn't a website I could learn uh, this stuff. There wasn't software I could use to make the scripts. It was a long process. And that first, when I looked at that first script and I realized that it hadn't even been touched, you could tell it it was pristine. And when I compared that to the second one, the second one was all messed up. Like it it was Mm. clear that it had been read very closely uh, there were no like notes in there, but you could see where uh, certain things were read and th- certain things were folded over and it was uh, hmm. curly on the ends. That you could tell the hmm. difference. And uh, but yeah, it, I, I wouldn't take the um, I wouldn't I wouldn't take the opportunity or the, the chance uh, away. That was like one one thing I'm really proud of that I, I did it, even if I didn't. Uh, get anywhere with like if i had been not given a chance to pitch i still would have said you know look at least you tried you know yeah so exactly but you know all things considered i I think i got pretty far with it i just didn't Mm -hmm. uh you know I, i just didn't get to make a career out of it. Well, Brian, this has been very interesting to hear about the process of submitting and the stories and the many episodes and ideas that you have. And I think you left us with a very inspirational, you can do it note there. That's, that's Mm -hmm. great. I mean, yeah, you have that inspiration and then you need to do the work uh, to make it happen. So, well, thank you, Brian, where can listeners, uh, find you online? They want to check out your podcasts and interact with you. Well, talkthroughmedia.com is where the podcast network that I started along with, uh, Ruthie rank, my co-host on the Star Trek discovery podcast and the Star Trek Picard cast that are going now. And, uh, Mark Kirkman, who is my host on uh, The Walking Dead Talk Through and Fear the Walking Dead Talk Through, and Kyle, who does a lot of McAdams, who does a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff uh, with us, but is also one of the co hosts of Fear the Walking Dead Talk Through. Um, we started up talkthroughmedia.com, and I'm kind of like the guy in charge of it, but it's all four of us. And, um, uh, so you can find us there. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all of that stuff. Uh, in terms of Twitter, uh, we have two different Twitter handles. It's Star Trek TTM for all things uh, 
Star Trek and uh, the Picard podcast has its own Twitter. It's Picard cast. And uh, we also have a Facebook group that's at uh, facebook.com slash group slash Star Trek TTM podcasts, uh, plural. Uh, so you can find us there. Um, my Twitter handle, personal handle is Brian J. Malosh. That's M-E-L-O-C-H-E. I always tell people that my name, uh, Malosh is where galoshes. So that's how you remember me. And you are also in the Babel Conference, so listeners can I am, talk with yeah, you there. I am very active on the Babel Conference. Uh, you will usually, uh, Christopher Littlefield is, uh, has, has my feedback for the edge and the line uh, each week. I contribute to that. And yes, you'll find me on there. I'm fairly active on there, so. So thank you guys for having me today. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. Great to hear all about it. Yes, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure. Well, next week, Justin, what are we going to be talking about? Because, Yeah, well, Amy, you're away next week, right? (laughs) I am. So tell me, along with the listeners, what you guys are going to be talking about. Yeah. So next week, we're going to have back uh, Jen Tift of the Snapchat podcast. So Amy, you and I talked with Jen about one of her favorite characters, Keiko. Yes, that was such uh, a good episode. I'm sorry that to was, miss her. Yeah. But me and Joe will be talking to Jen, yeah. and we'll be talking about a very relevant topic, AI and TNG. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. There's certain episodes and characters and things we'll look at. So I think that'll be great, right? I'm excited, yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, it's been so much fun talking to Brian Malosh about his lost episode of TNG today, but it isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, to the journey! If I were writing Voyager right now, like reconceiving it, I would make each season like a different decade, like show the progression of time over 70 years. See, we could have just done that with Kess as a character, though. I know I said it probably a million times in the last five episodes. Kess could have shown us what that would have been within mm-hmm. the seven-year period. So, you know, we all know my opinions on Kess and how much I liked the character. Earl Grey. Okay, Amy, your ice pick. <laughs> what is that number? <laughs> Amy to the nth power oh. pick. I, yeah. I, imagine, I imagine it at the square root of minus one. Negative one, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, one. Literary treks. You know, there's all this backstory as you're starting to learn in the show about what happened um, between Nemesis and the Picard show. And and so there was all this backstory. You couldn't really show it all in the show. Um, you don't want to. The show's about what's going on in the present time of the show. But, you know, Star Trek, since its origin, has always had um, ancillary materials that flesh out these stories. So, and we knew that would be the case here. The Line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. of the time, Star Trek tech makes sense. This does not to me. Okay, okay, Christy, like, Star Trek has asked me to believe some pretty ludicrous things. (laughs) This takes the cake. Okay. All right, we're on the same page. This is completely... More more than uh, going warp 10 turns you into lizard? More than lizard babies. (laughs) Really? More than Spot turning into a baby lizard. This, I'm just like... What are you trying to feed me here? That's interesting because I believe this a lot more than those other things. But. Yeah. Uh, Brennan Baga's evolution theories are much more believable than this. <laughs> no, they're really not. <laughs> but yeah. 
And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. Okay, guys, very quick bonus question. It will require a short answer. So if back in the 90s you were looking to submit an episode to Star Trek, would you have wanted to do it for Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager? I think I know your answer, Amy, but I'll ask you anyway. Yeah, that would be Next Gen, and it would be with Deanna Troy, and it would be a Troy episode. But I would like it for her to uh, be later season and with her in command of an away mission or Ooh, some kind okay. of mission to really show her uh, chops there. That would be awesome. TNG, yeah, definitely, because that was my... I think I knew about the script submission thing, but I was really young. I I wasn't in high school yet because I got the Star Trek magazine. I think it was a UK version of it, and I was aware of it. I thought that'd be really cool. So, yeah, Yeah. definitely TNG. What about you, Justin? Yeah, it's an interesting interesting question for me because, I mean, unlike you guys, I wasn't watching TNG when it aired Mm -hmm. or Deep Space Nine, really, when it aired, but I did catch a season of Voyager. (laughs) So... um, I don't know. I, I, uh, if that was really something that I was doing because I was watching Voyager, maybe it would have been Voyager and maybe it would have been like, I always thought the, uh, the character of Chakotay was pretty underutilized. I think it would be interesting to write something that really like delves more into his character and who he is. And he has to deal with a really difficult situation. So something a little different. Cool. All right. Well, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email... You can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not having your mom write you letter of recommendations? <laughs> well... Do you know what? My mom would do that for me because she I know loves she me would. very much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm not doing that, you can get me on the Babel Conference. You can tweet me on the Twitter at joyjo77uk. And like five people have done this week, you can email me, joepodcasts oh, at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah. What? Five, that is so five exciting. Emails. Yes. I got emails from a whole bunch of people. Oh, we knew you'd come My mom listeners. didn't send me any. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that out there. So I got emails from Shoab Mirza. Erin McDonald emailed me to say thanks for having her on last week. Colin Murray, Casey Pettit, and Jason Myers all emailed me. Oh, oh nice. such great oh, listeners feel, we have. I'm feeling the love completely. So thanks, guys. <laughs> and I have replied to them all. So, And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not stalking um, Star Trek script submission folk? 
Well, since I don't have an open policy now, there's probably not much use for me to do that. But <laughs> I'm not thinking about that and maybe dreaming of submitting something in the 90s. You can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our dedicated Star Trek Picard podcast with my friends Chrissy DeClercq-Zalagi and Brandon Shamatala. We're having a great time talking about every Picard episode as it airs. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not writing a story about Troy and Command in your head all day long for months at a time until you can convince someone to allow it to be part of Picard, maybe? Maybe. It's unlikely, yes. but... <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm not uh, having my mind occupied with that, you can find <laughs> me over on UFP Earth, where I co-host All Good Things, and we are currently talking about Picard, but eventually all of Star Trek. So I'm looking forward to that. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And of course, you can find me right there in the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more, available through our special patrons' website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity and recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebizio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by the juice of Safu that thoughts acquire speed, the lips acquire stains, the stains become a warning. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. Submitting your script to Star Trek and having your story premise bought and pitching to Star Trek producers and writers is only impossible until it's not. Great joy and gratitude. 